happy Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie uh, Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Now, Jim, we uh, we have so many great guests on this show, and uh, you know we always we always talk to each other, we tell each other... You know, don't geek out too badly. Don't go too full on uh, fanboy. But I am, uh, I'm just beside myself excited to talk to our, our guest today. This is Craig Hosking. He has worked on just about every movie I have liked in the last 25 years. He's a uh, extraordinary pilot, uh, pioneering videographer. And if you've seen Batman movies, James Bond movies, uh, Jurassic Park, I see his name attached to RoboCop, to one of the Matrix films. Anything and uh, and everything. If there's if there's some flying in it, Craig Hosking is part of it. And of course, uh, he served as the aerial coordinator uh, for our beloved uh, Rocketeer. Craig, good morning and welcome. Good morning and thank you. That's a nice introduction. Well, I like I said, uh, I'm so excited that uh, that you're able to join us uh, for this uh, this episode. I know you have a have a crazy tight schedule. You've got, uh, I, I, like I said, I just can't believe your resume. I'm I'm almost flabbergasted. I might just have to sit here and jibber jabber while Jim conducts the show. <laughs> well, thanks, so, but uh, it's been a wonderful and interesting career. Certainly has. Well, and, and this movie that we're we've been talking about for gosh <laughs> weeks now, uh, the Rocketeer. It's such a it's such a great combination. I mean, your your talents and skills in a movie about basically aviation. Uh, so it must have been exciting being able to 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 talk uh, aircraft and and uh, you know air, aerobatics and things like that with the folks that are you know, that were doing these beautiful stunts in a. I mean, a partially CGI movie, but all the, you know, the, the plane stuff is real. And uh, it must have been just an exciting time in uh, in movie making. It, it was. Uh, it was indeed. And as Hal mentioned, a lot of my resume, but uh, it's truly one of the very, very top ones in, in my career as far as uh, the variety of airplanes we got to use, the uh, just the plane fun that we had with so many wonderful pilots and so many cool airplanes and and it was it was indeed uh, one of the uh, highlights of my career. Yeah, I was wondering on the the minute that we're watching is just the beginning of the uh, the air races and uh, and poor Malcolm deciding to get get into uh, Miss Mabel and, and take off into the <laughs> right into the middle of the air race. When you're plotting out, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that this is uh, storyboarded, but I would I would think that while you're plotting out the direction that the aircraft are taking, how do you do that? Do you just like chart it in a notepad? Are you uh, are you holding up to? I mean, the tip, my typical idea of of pilots are is they they start doing things with their hands and waving. You know, we're going to come this way and that way. That's kind of a the way you can tell a pilot at a diner. Um, what what is yeah, the process? What is the process for for getting getting this going? Well, the first stage, of course, is the director describes and what he envisions in his mind, what the sequences are going to look like, um, how to how to make the the uh, the thing work. Uh, then he'll bring it to me as the art coordinator to design the sequence to match uh, in reality what we can do with aircraft with what he's just imagined in his mind. And I always uh, will try and encourage them to just dream away and don't worry about if it can be done. Don't worry uh, about safety. Don't worry about anything. Just worry about your vision of what the shot works as. And then the experts like me will come along 
and we'll worry about how to actually execute it. And of course, safety will be the, the paramount thing for us. But sometimes the director will get too handicapped in his idea because he's worried about things that he doesn't know a lot about. And uh, so we just tell him, tell us what, what it's going to look like, and uh, we'll figure out how to do it safely. And, and so we did. And that was a, a, this uh, 39 and 40 minutes were a pretty exciting part of the movie. Were there Absolutely. some unique were there some unique problems with working with vintage aircraft like this and just uh, and trying to keep up the speed or I, I'm not sure uh, what would what would be involved in in using older aircraft versus you know mo- modern equipment. Well, 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 to a lot of your uh, uh, followers and viewers, I guess the the simple answer is yeah. Well, the dumb things start uh, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to some of the older planes, and so yeah, that was uh, as as we know with some of those planes. Uh, keeping them up. Of course, they were all maintained uh, well. Those were the only planes we brought to the movie were ones that could be dependable. And most of them came with their own uh, mechanics. But um, but yeah, keeping them, keeping them flying, just getting everybody to start at the same time and, and going was, was always a part of it. And of course, uh, in, in the air race scene uh, uh, that we're talking about, of course, we uh, uh, stage things a little bit. It, it is Hollywood. And and we see in that frame, uh, uh, leading up to, uh, to, uh, well, in 30, minute 39, we see that, uh, quote, air race. And there's some planes with a, what would, of course, be dissimilar speeds there. It looks like they're vying for the lead. Sure. Uh, and nothing would have stayed close to that, uh, travel, um, travel air mystery ship of Jim Yonkins, but we've got a Great Lakes right on his, his tail there, uh, <laughs> looking like it's a good race. Right, you've got the Ryan uh, STA, and then, then uh, that's uh, Bill Turner's uh, uh, Miss Los Angeles replica in the back. Right, yeah, right. yeah, so. and, and then the announcer in the the sequence is uh, Larry Franco, who was the producer of the movie. So oh, he's uh, really, yeah, and so he's he's you know he's a big financial participator, uh, but he had also early in his career worked as a first AD, a first assistant director, and those are the people responsible for organizing the the whole uh day for the whole shoot and each daily activity and so uh on that those days we had a big audience out there and uh larry is good with handling audiences and and before he was a producer he was a strong first ad and so he would be out there handling the crowd and getting them all uh fired up and uh the director joe just (laughs) put him in wardrobe and said all right you're going to be the announcer larry (laughs) and uh and so he was. Oh, that's great. Now, I've always been curious about, uh, so this scene in particular, I've got these four airplanes. It's, you know, to the audience, it's racing. To me, it's, it's, uh, you know, formation flying. So a couple of things. So they're coming in over, you know, over the top of or, or very, very near a crowd. Do you, when you're setting up something like this, do you need any particular airspace waivers, anything like that for the, you know, so for the formation stuff, we're not seeing aerobatics per se. Um, well, we do both. Um, everybody who's in the film becomes a willing participant in the production. And so then we apply a, a movie manual uh, waiver. Every two years as film pilots, we receive these waivers. They allow us to fly aerobatics uh, lower than what the normal altitude would be. They allow us to fly closer to willing participants. And uh-huh. so 
it's it's basically like when you go to an air show. We, sure. Of course, we have the deadline: 500 feet for for uh, moderate speed planes, uh, 1500 feet for the for the fast ones, as most of your viewers will know. In this case, everybody in the film crew becomes a willing participant, and it'd be just like somebody who's going out there to uh, hold a, a ribbon pole for an air show performer who's doing a ribbon cut. Uh, sure, uh, they're taught, they're educated, they participate willingly. And they realize that they are going to be within those distances. So um, when we're doing something like this, we'll invoke this privilege by f- filing a, a movie manual plan of activities, it's called. And that POA goes into the local FISDO. And on a case like this, where we're going to have a lot of people out there uh, with an air race right over the top of them, and like you said, it's actually formation flying, then we, we got to add a lot of FA presence out there. And they uh, understood the rules and and Larry each day would announce to the, all the audience what was going on. And anybody could willingly withdraw if they want. They still would have gotten paid. Uh, but, of course, everybody wants to be a part of it. Oh, sure. Uh, very quickly, for those uh, listening who may not be aware, FISDO is uh, Flight Standards District Office. That's a, uh, would just be sort of a local branch of the uh, the FAA that you would go and talk to. Now, another sort of quick question about this segment uh you know the airplanes fly over and you know the camera goes from the aerial action down to uh down to bigelow and he's got lines to do and that timing is just sublime do you recall how many times how many takes you had to do with these airplanes flying around and well, not, not a lot and that's part of what we do is as hand flying uh, as you mentioned as we design these sequences sometimes we'll actually walk through the sequence and uh uh, further on here in this movie, uh, uh, the next few minutes, uh, there's this uh, head on and, and we'll talk about that. But we walk through it. Everybody will line up and we'll get out in the hangar or just out on a ramp and everybody will walk through where they're going to be. And I'll usually have the director there if he can be so he can envision how he's going to tilt the camera off of the air race and, and right down to his uh, his audience. And then, uh, you know, as an aerial coordinator, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. But in that's particular spot i was right there at the camera and i was on the radio to the boys in the air giving them a little more left okay flatten it out that's good start a right turn a little tighter left that kind of a description to bring them right over the mark where the camera wants to see them okay now we're well this is being filmed this is being filmed at santa maria airport uh which is an active an active airport i know that they had to change the pattern so that i think they were coming in uh, right out of the pattern instead of left out of their normal pattern, but uh, did you have a lot of traffic that day that they had to redirect? Or well, they they set us up. The set was down uh, kind of on the south end of the airfield, uh, on an old diagonal. It was it was one of those uh, Santa Maria. For those who don't know, is one of the, those military airports that was basically a big triangle of of extensive uh, length and width runways so that they could land basically into the wind in just about any condition. And this was one of their diagonal runways that, uh, hadn't been up kept for years and it was kind of in the dirt state. And so we took that runway and then we would just keep all our flying south of, uh, the main, uh, the main, uh, east west runway, which is the dominant runway they used. And then tower would just work everybody, like you said, in a pattern to the north. And uh, we pretty much owned it. The 500-foot line that we did respect was the south end of the main uh, east-west runway. And uh, we just kind of lived in our own little world down there. And uh, they were very, very cooperative. It's really interesting. Yeah, there was a... uh 
there was like a little newspaper ad that went out from the production, uh, just thanking, you know, in particular, thanking the local pilots, maybe even a brochure. Thank you, local pilots, for putting up with us and altering your traffic pattern for a couple of weeks and that sort of thing. Um, I didn't want to spoil this from minute uh, 40, which we'll be talking about tomorrow. But um, one thing I've only noticed fairly recently is uh, in that next minute when uh, the standard J1 takes off, um, there's what I, I think is a Cessna 182 just sort of cruising along in the background. And that's I, that's the, about the only anachronism uh, other than uh, than a that white truck, uh, Jim, that Billy spotted yeah, the, the that you ever truck. really see. Yeah, this crew truck. And it's uh, all of these are blinking. You'll miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that's what's fun for us as filmmakers is is we try. Uh, but every now and then you'll miss one or something lines up so well. And uh, and then we'll put we'll, they'll sometimes actually leave that sequence in there just for the people like <laughs> like you that others that <laughs> love to catch us. And we'll just say, let's see how many letters we get on that one. And, uh, That's excellent. And, uh, well, so it we, only took me about 25 years, but I, I got it. <laughs> you caught us on it. And I didn't even remember that one. Now, uh, now that you mention it, I do. I, I had seen it. But uh, oh, that's, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Craig, I. We don't want to bounce around too much, but I wonder if you, uh, you know, since we're fortunate enough to have you now, but uh, but not we weren't uh, in touch with you at the beginning of this series. Could you talk just a little bit about uh, about the GB sequences? And we've got a pretty good understanding of sort of what was the Waco and and uh, what was the mock-up on the Bell versus flying the 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 real replica, if you'll allow the term. But I understand you and Steve Hinton both flew the the GB replica at the beginning. Yeah, we did. We we uh, uh, the studio actually bought that and uh, it became the, the studio's airplane. Uh, we knew that that plane had a pretty bad reputation for flying uh, badly, <laughs> and uh, as every GB uh, uh, that's come along, uh, most of them wrecked. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, just super short coupled, poor visibility, uh, and, and it's a hard plane to fly. <clears throat> when we bought it, and like I said, as the aerial coordinator, I wear a lot of hats. And, uh, so when we, when we, meaning Disney, bought the, that uh, airplane, Steve Hinton was going to be the primary pilot, and, um, uh, I was going to be the backup pilot. Uh, the, the other pilots that you see there, uh, in the air race, uh, flying the standards, Chuck Wentworth, and then we had uh, Steve Hinton, John Maloney, uh, Jim Franklin, and Rick Bricker. And each of those were checked out in each of the uh, specific planes that they were going to be flying. And then as aerial coordinator, like I said, sometimes I'm on the ground. I can help the director best there. Generally, I'm in a helicopter or airplane with a camera system on board. In this case, it was mostly a jet ranger with a Tyler mount. But occasionally I'll get in one of the story airplanes. Uh, Steve was going to be the primary. I was, uh, I checked out in the GB. After we bought it, I did most of the initial, uh, flying of the airplane. There were some substantial modifications we needed to make to that leading, a linked landing gear. It was highly, highly unstable, darted around horribly on the ground. So after we bought it, I test flew it. Uh, of course, at the time I was current landing pits upside down. So I was pretty quick with my, <laughs> pretty quick with my feet on a rudder and, uh, that is something so, to see for those that haven't seen it. We ought to, we'll find a, maybe a picture, an old video of, of that. But he's not kidding when he talks about landing a pits upside down with an extra set of landing gear. So, but with that <laughs> uh, currency in, in those kind of planes, that's what put me into the GB first. So I checked out in it. We modified the landing gear. We fixed a few things and made it ready to fly for the movie. But just about every one of the landings, no matter how good we got, uh, we thought that airplane was going off the runway. 
And then uh, Steve checked out on it as well. But then early, uh, before filming ever began, uh, Steve had a, uh, a accident in one of uh, the museum's airplanes that was going to be in uh, the show. It had an engine failure right after takeoff. And not badly, but Steve hurt himself a bit. And so um, that made me the primary pilot for the GB. And I brought in another pilot named Harry House to do the camera work from the helicopter. So basically, for most of the movie, every time the GB flew, uh, it, it was me flying it. Uh, and then uh, it was, Steve was was healing it and getting better and was able to join us for for some of the film, but certainly not in a position to want to fly that GB. And did you ever fly uh, that modified Waco with the, the GB rear section or was that uh, was that Jimmy Franklin? Uh, I did all the flying in that. Yeah. That oh, you was, did all the flying in that. Okay. Yeah, everything with the the GB Waco, uh, uh, I I did the flying on. We had a camera mounted in there. Uh, looking back at the mock-up uh, back half of that Waco with uh, the uh, with the actor in it. Was that your idea to uh, modify the back of the Waco like that? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times on a few movies. Uh, that was absolutely brilliant. I didn't for for years. I didn't know how that was done but uh that was that was brilliant we did a similar thing on a feature coming up this summer just in another month uh that's called um dunkirk and oh. Uh, oh. everybody uh, i hear from both your reactions all of us who are in the <laughs> uh, lovers of aviation know about dunkirk coming up but we used a similar trick in that movie and uh i'll let you try and catch us on it and uh, <laughs> maybe we'll do this again on dunkirk Oh man, I would, I would love to gosh, those early Mark Spitfires in the, tra- just in the trailer. Uh, you know, you almost weep when you see those airplanes are just, just gorgeous. So I can't wait. Yeah. And our, one of our frequent guests is Billy Campbell, the, uh, you know, the rocketeer himself. And he talked about trying to overcome his terrible fear of flying. And also he mentioned that he had a uh, slight claustrophobia. So the combination of being jammed in the back of a Waco, uh, while doing maneuvers and having to act his lines must have been, uh, <laughs> <laughs> his his worst nightmare, but uh, it's it seemed like he got through it all right. Well, in, in terms of yeah, Bill and I joked about that all these years later of the scene where he punches through the canopy with the oil on it on the windshield. Uh, and he said, "I wasn't acting, man. I was really scared." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not surprised. So, um, a couple other things I wanted to call out, or at least one thing in particular. I just discovered. I didn't realize this when I was reacquainting myself with your resume um and uh forgive me jim a little bit far afield here but uh craig you did uh, cinematography on what i think maybe arguably is some of the most beautiful flying footage ever of any film and anybody who comes to me wants to know a good flying movie so i point them to toward a french film uh, Les chevalier du ciel or the sky fighters mm-hmm. um and uh I guess I don't even have a question about it. I just want to make sure that anybody out there listening who wants to see um, some absolutely jaw-dropping aerial footage uh, that you did in co- cooperation with the French Air Force and the Mirage 2000s and things, definitely uh, definitely go check out Sky Fighters. It's, it's breathtaking. Yeah, that, that was epic. Uh, we had uh, a Learjet with the camera system over in uh, an airbase in French uh, called Orange, or, or it's just spelled orange if people look it up. It's near Avignon. And we were there for about a month running around with that with that Airbus and uh, the Mirage fighters and the full 
Patrol de France. Uh, it was it was a pretty big fun project. That was absolutely uh, absolutely jaw dropping. One other little uh, little trivia question for you here, and that is, uh, there's uh, a scene or two in this film around around this sequence where we see a chalkboard with pilots' names and speeds and things written next to them, and your name is written there, Hosking. And it looks to me like somebody has added an S. Is that uh, is that an inside joke, or, or you remember no, anything about what that was? Everybody, everybody just adds the S to the end of my name. Even to, today, people want to make me Hoskings, and and there's no S there. And so, no, that was just whoever wrote that board up uh, was was kind of joking around because some of it was the real pilot. I sure. I, 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 I gosh, I I've got to review that minute of the movie, but yeah, there were several that were real names, and others were like names of the producer or the writer or funny things like that that they put up there. That's great. I'm just sitting here watching. I keep watching the minute. <laughs> I know. It's, it's it's amazing how you just get get pulled into this film, yeah. and it. Is, do, you, do you frequently watch your own movies? I mean, you have so many movies, I would imagine that you bump into them all the time. But do you, do you frequently wind up watching older movies to get ideas of, of how things were approached back then? Or, you know, just just reviewing things? Or? Um, not so much. Uh, generally, it's it's just done with the, the, the kind of ideas that come in, in the moment. Um, try not to go back to, to uh, rehashing old things, old sequences, and so... Sometimes I like to have that uh, uh, just a, a blank canvas in my brain when I read a script or we start talking with a director. So I don't often refer to that. But but of course, the nature of, of aerial filming takes us back to, to tricks we've played before. As cameras and other you know other video equipment have, have gotten smaller and we're you know approaching the newer technologies like drones and automated uh, f- flight, how has that changed your work? Have you have you come to use drones more or are, are you using drones in in your aerial work well there's a there's a they're a tool that kind of bridges a gap for us occasionally they'll fit in uh where we can't reach uh, with our longer cranes where you know they put a, a techno crane which is a stabilized crane that will have the the camera on a on a uh, remote controlled head and they can reach in and over things and then uh the helicopters but there is a space in there for drones and yeah people use them a lot you know they'll try and get up um and lower and closer to where normally you might start seeing rotor wash on a helicopter and, and so people are using them uh not a major impact on our business hasn't really altered it much they came along with with a lot of excitement and fanfare to Hollywood a few years ago kind of settled into now just being another tool, just like a, a techno crane or uh, a dolly or whatever uh, a, a director and his DP might choose to use uh, to, to move the camera. I would imagine that even though that CGI is becoming a more real, uh, uh, you know, a, a technology that's been relied on more and more in, in movies as, as they're doing things, you're still getting a lot of work for doing background plates and things like that. Is that, would would you say that's that's a common thing? Um, sure. Yeah, we you know you see a, a variety of anything uh, uh, and a director's approach to it. You know, you get into a, a Michael Bay type of, type of Transformers movie, and uh, you know, going in, it's all going to be a, a big computer visual effect. Uh, you know, Star Wars, those kind of things. And then you have the purists who, uh, even though uh, strangely enough, our director on Rocketeer, Joe Johnson, came from ILM and came from the digital modification kind of world he was very very much about shooting it for real as much 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 as we could do for real and hence the the cockpit on the back of the waco that 
the Billy Campbell flu. And um, a lot of directors would just say, oh, we'll shoot that on a green screen stage. Go shoot the backgrounds for it. But Joe, being a, a, a digital guy, still chose to shoot it uh, real. So we see that a lot, too. Yeah, it's it still, I mean, you know, here we're 20, 25 years on. And it's still just breathtaking watching this movie. I I never never tire of seeing seeing the action, even though, you know, you know that it's it, that it's set up to to look these ways and stuff. It's just still it, it's breathtaking, and uh, I, I think Hal Hal would agree on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the rewatchability of it all is, is is stunning. It looks like it looks like everybody in the the cast and crew seem to have a very good time on this movie. From 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 what we've been hearing, everybody everybody had a great time. I mean, this was like being at a a month long air show. Exactly, and it was with people we had all chosen. We wanted to be with Jim Arnett, the stunt coordinator that was handling the ground stunts and activity was was a good friend of mine. And oh, it was it was it was a ton of fun. There was. A lot of pranks at the hotel and somebody, somebody ended up with a Coke machine in their, in their hotel room. (laughs) A lot of those kind of things went on amongst all the crew. Um, in fact, uh, the producer, uh, uh, Ian Bryce, uh, of course, any producer or good production manager's job is to watch the budget. And, uh, Ian is a, is a, a wiry guy and uh, we mentioned Michael Bay and went on to produce and still does for Michael, but he was the producer on this show and Jim Arnett and I are both pretty, pretty big guys. And just the camaraderie on the crew, uh, usually there is a bit of animosity between the, the producer and the financial guys who, who don't want to, to give us what we need, uh, financially, but Ian budgeted the movie well. And, uh, and so it was just a good feel, but we were, uh, Jim and I were, uh, joking with Ian one day about being so cheap. Jim grabbed him by by one uh, sh- uh, shoulder of his shirt and his legs, and I grabbed him by the other, and we literally picked him up and shook him, and not a <laughs> not, not a penny more came out of his pocket. <laughs> and so, so that was the that was the kind of fun we had on the movie. Uh, that's fantastic. It looks like you had great. I mean, I I I would assume that the uh, the weather there is pretty mild, but it looks like you didn't have any weather days. Were there generally clear skies the whole time? you're shooting yeah you're taking a, a a long memory back but i don't remember having any weather days i don't i don't remember uh, losing much at all there yeah and about how long would you have been out at santa maria uh, again kid i <laughs> whatever i say is gonna be uh wrong because it's just too many years ago but i think we we're there for for probably a month, three to four weeks, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Were, were you involved at all in uh, planning the aero, the the structures that were being built, like the the location of the hangars and stuff, or where you needed things for the shot, or was that mostly in uh, in Joe's purview? Well, it was certainly in harmony with us. Uh, when you're on this big of an aerial movie, um, uh, I had an office right there at, uh, at Disney, right by everybody else's for about six weeks during prep. And yeah, that's exactly uh, part of what we would do is is a a production designer who designs the sets and, and actually has them built would design things. And we would go up to location and scout and figure out where the sun's going to be. If we're looking back in this direction and how the planes are going to be lit and how the set would be lit. And uh, so, yeah, I was heavily involved with, with placement of things. So we had grandstands in the right area where we most likely would have our prevailing wind to fly the straight, the straightaway as well as the light of it all. And so, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. I, I, I'm really uh, floored by how 
substantial the, uh, the the construction was on these. I mean, that that Bigelow ha- hangar still stands as the Santa Maria uh, Air Museum, and uh, it's a surprisingly sturdy structure for you know what would have been uh, a you know a one or two month use in, in the production. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Of course, they're also being used at the same time as sets, interior sets that that they would shoot inside and outside. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it it, it surprised, surprised me a lot. But wow, this is a this is a beautiful minute, and we're just we're just beginning to get into the action. But why don't why don't we pick some of that up tomorrow uh, here on uh, on our show as we finish out the week, uh, Craig? If you uh, we'll check back with you with here for folks needing to. Uh, leave some more messages here on our social media we're available in a bunch of different places you can find us on twitter rocketeer minute you can find us at facebook facebook.com slash rocketeer minute also at the big site rocketeer minute.com where you can catch up on previous episode pick up some cool swag maybe get a copy of the rocketeer on blu-ray which is out there uh, amazon will be happy to sell you one and it'll make disney very happy i'm sure so uh, check check those out but uh, join us here tomorrow as we continue our discussion of uh, high flying with uh, with craig so until next time over and out 